Thank you, men. Appreciate that so much this evening. If you have your Bible with you tonight, we are in the book of Acts, Acts chapter uh, 8, if you will, Acts chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading in verse 26, Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Maybe if there's someone nearby you who doesn't have a Bible with them, you'd be kind enough to let them look on with yours. Acts chapter 8 tonight and verse 26 says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came onto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious and eternal word. Well, I want to take just a few moments of your time this evening and speak tonight about a man who believed and was baptized on the same day. We call him the Ethiopian eunuch. We know very little about him. In fact, we don't even know his name, and hence we give him that title. But we know that he was won to Christ by Simon, who was a deacon in the church at Jerusalem and an evangelist. And I want you just to see this little discourse that takes place, this little conversation that takes place between these two men tonight, and to think about this man and and all that happened to him uh, that day out there in the desert just around Gaza. Let's begin by talking about his character. In verse 27, we're introduced to him. And it says that the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under, the, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, 
who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. The first thing that we're told about this man is that he was a man of Ethiopia. That is, it speaks to us about his race. This was the very first black man that was saved in the early church era. Indeed, that's what the phrase man of Ethiopia means. The word literally means a burnt face. And, and so he was swarthy. He was someone who had skin of a dark color. And I'm so glad tonight that the Bible gives us this little detail because it tells us that the, that the gospel is for everyone. It's not just a white man's religion. It's not just a western religion. It's not a religion for uh, those of us who attend this church alone, uh, but rather it's a gospel that goes to all, irrespective of a person's background, irrespective of their race, irrespective of their culture. I hate to tell you this, but whether you're black or whether you're white, whether you're orange or whether you're green, Christ cares for your soul tonight, and his desire is to save you. The Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Friend, listen to me tonight. God loves you. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background, no matter what your story is, no matter how much sin you've delved into, or indeed how much religion you've been subject to, the Lord loves you tonight, and his desire is to save you, and his will is that none should perish, but that all should come to him in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this opening verse tells us about this man's race, but it also tells us something of his reach. Notice he was an eunuch of great authority. He was a powerful figure, a political figure, a man who held the ear of his queen and who had charge of her purse. He was unquestionably a wealthy man. We could liken him to our own Chancellor of the Exchequer. And he had evidently worked himself into this position. You see that word eunuch, it comes from two Greek words. It's a, it's a, it's a composite word, a une, and a echo, which means a bed and keeper. He was a bed keeper. He was someone who kept a bed chamber, a chamberlain, if you like. And uh, he was one who would have been in charge of a bedroom. Such men were generally put in charge uh, of a king's harem. And he was there to safeguard that harem and to protect that harem from interference or the women in it from molestation so as to somehow corrupt the royal line. So evidently he had started in a rather lower position and he had ended up as treasurer of this nation of his. Now that suggests to me that he was an enterprising man, that he was a man who must have been diligent in his work, that he was a man who must have been circumspect in his behavior. But then we're told something about his religion. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now we all know who goes to Jerusalem to worship. The Jewish people go to Jerusalem to worship. But it's very unlikely that this man was a natural born Jew. Because according to the Jewish law, uh, people who were eunuchs were not to be admitted into the nation of Israel. And yet here he was. He was a, a devout man. He was a, a truth seeker. He was one who had come to Jerusalem to worship. And whilst he's there, he secures a copy of the Scriptures. He gets in his hand a copy of the Word of God from which Philip hears him reading out 
out loud from Isaiah chapter 53. It's how people read in Bible times. They didn't read into themselves as we do. They read audibly, out loud. And before we continue considering this man and thinking about this man, let me share a couple of thoughts with you. First of all, I want you to notice where Philip found him. It says at the end of the verse 26 that he found him in the desert. That Philip went down toward the south onto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. That's a dry place. That's an arid, arid place. That's a barren place. That's, of course, where he was located physically, but it's also where he was in his life. It's where he was spiritually. You see, this man's race and his reach and his religion had done nothing for him. And maybe you're like that tonight. Maybe you're here this evening and listen, you think about your background, you think about your religion that you were brought up in, you think perhaps about your occupation, the things that you thought might satisfy you, might meet the needs of your soul, but you find yourself in this dry, arid, barren land. You find yourself in a place where nothing you do seems to satisfy the inner man. He was in a dried up place. And there was little, if anything, in his background that brought him real satisfaction. <laughs> Jeremiah, the prophet, said this of his people. He said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the Lord, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out, cut them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Friend, let me say to you tonight that without the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, your life can never be satisfied that you were created for fellowship with God. And if you don't have fellowship with God tonight, there's a missing piece in your soul. There's an eternity-shaped void in your heart. There's something within you that tells you things are not right. Things are not what they should be. I'm not, not where I ought to be. Something is missing tonight. Not only was he someone who was in a dry and an arid place, but he was someone, I think, who had very little future. And I say this respectfully. But we read there the word eunuch. And such a man could never have a posterity. He could never have children. And so from his point of view and in that custom, uh, the custom of that particular society, he was a man without hope in a sense. He was locked into the daily grind. All he had was his occupation. All he had was his religion. All he had was his culture. And really he had nothing else. There was no prospect for him. And really that's where a lot of folks are. They may well have a nice job. They may well have a company car. They may well have a good salary. They may be able to afford a nice home and have nice things and wear nice clothes and go to nice restaurants. They might even have great power and influence in their career. They may have worked their way up the corporate ladder, but they are in a spiritual desert and are nowhere with God. He was a man without hope in some sense. And let me tell you something. All of his religion, all of his religious practice couldn't help him. Is that you tonight? Has your life dried up? Have you hit a cul-de-sac? Are you looking down the road and you really don't see anything for you? Is your life without worth? Is your life without hope? 
Is your life without purpose tonight? Do you feel as though even though you have all of the world's goods and and much that others might look in on your life at and desire, even so that there's something still missing, that you're empty inside? That was the Ethiopian eunuch. And I want you to notice his concern in verse 28 of our reading. Verse 28, it says, he was returning from Jerusalem, going back to his home. And sitting in his chariot, he read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, this great evangelist, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither, ran there to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. This man was simply reading his Bible. Davy said he was given a Bible and he was sorry to say that he hadn't read it. But this man had read the Bible he was given. And he was curious about the passage where he was reading. And I want to read that passage to you in in context. And I want you to listen to what Isaiah said in totality. This is a word of prophecy. Here's Isaiah the prophet speaking approximately 650 years before Christ comes along. And he's speaking of Christ and he says of him, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And as he read that passage, it made no sense to him. There seemed to be something of import in it. There seemed to be something that he should have got a handle on. There seemed to be something that he needed to really know, but he just wasn't able to weave his way through those words and make much sense of the thing he was reading. And maybe you're like that. 
Maybe the Bible is a closed book to you. You know, I can well imagine, and I don't wish to pick on David tonight, but I can well imagine him being given a Bible and this great thick book and not knowing where to read and not knowing where to begin and setting it up on his cupboard and, and thinking, well, I'll leave that there for another day. It's not easy. And so you can imagine this man and his consternation at having read these things. He's, he's wondering who this man is that has been spoken of. He has a question. But here's the thing, friend. You might be at that place tonight where the Bible makes no sense to you, where Christian people seem like aliens to you, uh, where this act of baptism that we will uh, observe in a few moments will seem to be, in your eyes, the most ridiculous of ceremonies. You might think it is the strangest of practices, but here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, I want you to listen to me. If you're not a Christian, the Bible is a closed book to you. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says your mind is blinded. Your mind is blinded. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. He speaks about how the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in unto them. Here's what Paul is telling us. He's telling us that the devil wants to keep you in the dark. That the devil wants to keep you away from this book. That the devil wants to keep you away from the gospel. That the devil would rather you went to hell than went to heaven. That he'd like you to continue in your sin rather than turning to the Savior. And so he has blinded your mind. And when you open the book, he's working overtime to make sure that it just seems like nonsense to you. You need the illumination of the Holy Spirit to understand this book. To open your eyes so that you can see that all, of, all that God's word is telling you. Well, this man was reading these words in Isaiah. And he had come to the seventh verse. He has brought us a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. And he thought to himself, who is this man writing about? Is he, is he writing about himself? Is this, a, is this an autobiography? Is he saying something about himself? Or is he speaking about somebody else? And he really doesn't know. You know, sometimes, friends, you just need somebody to sit down beside you and explain it to you. You know, when I became a Christian, I knew very little of the Bible. Hardly anything at all, if the truth be told. A little bit here, maybe, and a little bit there, but not much to speak of. And I remember when I first went to church, I went to a youth meeting. And they were playing a game. In fact, we played at our youth meeting on Friday evening in which they were doing charades. Mimes. They were acting out Bible characters. They had a little bowl in the middle of the hall and you went over and you picked out a piece of paper and you unfolded it and there was a name written on that piece of paper. And I remember going over and picking out a piece of paper and I came back to my chair in the circle and I unfolded it and it said Daniel. And I looked around the room and I said to the young woman beside me, which one of them is Daniel? She said, what do you mean? I says, these fellas, which one of them is Daniel? She says, it's Daniel in the Bible. It's not one of them. She says, you've got to act out Daniel in the Bible. Well, she could tell by my blank look that I really didn't know what she was talking about. She said, just make a noise like a lion. So when my turn came, I, I stood up and went, Arr! and all the kids went, Daniel. <laughs> 
And I was surprised. <laughs> they got it. But I didn't have it. I didn't understand it. And, you know, many times, even as a young person, I'd pick up a Bible in school or somewhere else and look at it, and I'd like, read a few verses, and I'd turn it, uh, close it, and I'd say, I don't understand that. I don't get that. Well, maybe that's you this evening. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you. Well, hearing him read at this passage, Philip comes alongside him, and he engages him in conversation, and he says to him, uh, he, the man asks Philip, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? And the answer that Philip gives is, some other man. Notice what it says in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. What a wonderful thing to preach. What a wonderful lesson to bring, to speak to him about Jesus, to tell him that this prophet writing 600 years before Christ came was preaching and prophesying and predicting the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, he had only one message and that was the message of Jesus. Listen to me tonight. I'm coming to you and I'm speaking to you honestly. We have nothing else to offer you but Jesus. That's all we've got. But let me tell you, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to save your soul. You know, the Apostle Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 18, said this, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save some, save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now listen to what he says. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks the Gentiles foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Philip told this man about Jesus. He told him of a saviour who had come from heaven above, who had been born in a little village called Bethlehem, who had lived a perfect life and had done much good for the citizens of Israel. He had healed the sick and opened the eyes of the blind and opened the ears of the deaf. He'd even raised the dead. For three and a half years, he ministered flawlessly. No one could find fault with him. But there came a day when, in keeping with Isaiah's prophecy, this man was treated as a criminal and was nailed to a cross in keeping with Roman law. But he was nailed to that cross because it was pleasing God to bruise him. In other words, he went to that cross not because the Romans nailed his hands and feet to it. 
He went to that cross because God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in eternity past counseled together and determined that he should come and die for the sins of men, that he should be punished in our place, that he should bear our sin debt, that he should take our sin upon himself and be condemned instead of us. That's what Philip preached. He preached that without Christ all hope is lost. He preached how that he lay in a grave for three days and it seemed like that was the end of the journey and all seemed to be lost. But on the third day he rose from the dead proving himself to be victor over sin and over death and over hell. And he said, if you'll but put your trust in him, if you would believe in Jesus, not a pastor, not a rabbi, not a priest, if you'd put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, you'll be saved. Just believe in him. Just acknowledge the fact of his coming. Just accept that, that he has come and gave his life for you and lay your whole weight and the entire trust of your soul upon him and who he is and what he's done for you and you can be completely forgiven and have everlasting life. He preached the same message we preach. And I want you to see this man's conversion. Look here in verse 36. Verse 36 says, And as they went on their way, Philip and the eunuch, they came on to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip, caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now it's self-evident as you read this passage that Philip not only spoke to this man about the necessity of believing, but he also spoke to him about the commandment to be baptized. You know, in Bible times, people did not agonize over baptism as people do today. Uh, there wasn't much deliberation. There was no angst. There was no, uh, there was no introspection. They just did it. They believed and they were baptized the same day. You can read that all the way through this book of Acts, which details the early days of the church, going back to Acts chapter 2 and, and verse 44. Uh, you read, uh, it says, uh, sorry, verse 40. Uh, I missed my verse up now. Let me get this. Verse 41, and then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. You go back there to Acts chapter 8 and you see this man was baptized the same day. In Acts chapter 9 and uh, verse 18, you read the same thing uh, of others. Uh, you read there in verse 18 of chapter 9. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as the Apostle Paul, as it had been scaled, and he received sight forwith, and he arose 
and was baptized. That was just a few days after his conversion. In Acts chapter 16, you read about a Philippian jailer and his family, and they are baptized immediately after their conversion. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, the man asked the question, verse 30, he asked, what must I do to be saved? The answer comes back, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. They speak unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house, and he took them that same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straight away. You see, people got saved and then they were baptized. Now, baptism doesn't save. Jesus saves. You know, that's why Philip preached unto him, Jesus. But baptism pictures the work that Jesus did for us in saving us. It symbolizes his death, his burial, and resurrection. When we get into this water in a few moments, as the candidate is going down into the water, that's a picture of death. He's dying. He's picturing the death of Christ. And he's saying, I am dying with Christ. And then when he's under the water, he's buried. It's a picture of burial. And that's portraying the burial of the Lord Jesus. And then when he comes up out of the water, he pictures resurrection. That's what this ordinance is about. But it doesn't save anyone. You say, well, how do you know it doesn't save? I know it because Paul said this. He said, for Christ sent me to baptize, not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He separated baptism from the good news of the gospel. He already tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Now he tells us that baptism doesn't form part of that gospel. He separated baptism from the gospel. Listen to me, and this is important for each of our candidates tonight, and I'm sure they know this already. You don't leave your sins in the tank. You leave your sins at the cross. Tank can't take away your sin. This water can't take away your sin. I love the story of an old a country preacher in the United States of America. And I've preached in a little church like this. It just sits out in the middle of the field of an old wooden shack of a thing. He was having a baptismal service. And he said to the folks, listen now, I want you to know that baptism doesn't save and that this water will not hold your sins. He said, if it did hold your sins, you'd be in terrible trouble. He says, because when we're done, your sins would be in the water in the tank. And then we'd pull the plug and the water would go out into the field behind the church here and into the soil. So your sins would be in the soil. And from that soil, the grass will grow. And so your sins are in the grass. He says, and then the cows come along and they'll eat the grass. And now your sins are in the cows. And from that grass, they'll make milk, he says. And you'll drink the milk and you'll get your sins back. Well, friends, that's not the way this thing works. You don't want your sins back. You want your sins forgiven. And the only way to have your sins forgiven is to take them to Calvary. Take him to the cross and say, Lord, please forgive my sin. Take my sin from me and forgive me. A number of years ago, I, as a young pastor, an assistant pastor, I went with a senior pastor uh, to visit a couple who were interested in Christianity, who were interested in salvation. And we witnessed to them for a while. And he told me before he went, he said, these people are involved in Satanism. He says, so I want you to come along. He says, this could be a very difficult visit. So I went along with him. I was a young man. I I went with a little bit of fear and trepidation, I'll confess. But we got there, and these people were up to their neck in the occult and Satanism and witchcraft and all these things. And so we sat there. He sat there mostly witnessing to them, sharing with them how they could have their sins forgiven, how Christ would be their Savior. 
And we got to the end of that and they said, well, we already believe that. Well, it was clear they didn't believe it. It was evident that they were still engaged in the things that they were engaged in when we arrived. And so he said to them, listen, he said, tomorrow we're having a baptism of the church. He says, if you're really a Christian, why don't you come along and get baptized? I thought to myself, what in the world is he thinking? I was looking at him going, this is nuts. He should never have invited them to be baptized. They're not even Christians. They're occultists. So anyway, he left it there. We went home. I wasn't home five minutes. The phone rang. He says, we got to go back to that couple. They want to get baptized. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> How is he going to get out of this? He's just invited to be baptized. They're not fit candidates for baptism. How is he going to? I thought, I'm going to see this. So I went with him in the car. We got there to the house. The couple said, uh, we thought about what you said after you left, and we realized you were right, that we are in sin, and the things we're doing are wrong. And so we, we both uh, give our hearts and lives to the Lord Jesus. We've believed on him to forgive our sins, and we want to come to church tomorrow and be baptized. Guess what? They were baptized the next day in the church. It was as simple as that. So the eunuch Having believed, sees this water that's deep enough for baptism. And he says, see, here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? To which Philip replies, if I believest with all thine heart, thy mayest. You see, that's the condition for baptism. You've got to have believed with all your heart. We call it believer's baptism. The Bible says this in the book of Romans in chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Philip says to this fellow, if you've believed with all your heart you may be baptized. And he said, I believe. I believe, he says. That Jesus is the Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so Philip baptized him. I want you to notice several truths about this, and if you're honest, you can't get around them. First of all, the most obvious truth is that this eunuch was a grown man. He wasn't an infant. Friends, I've searched the scriptures, I've read the New Testament many times through, and I could tell you this evening there is not one single instance of a child or an infant or a baby being baptized anywhere in the Word of God. Everyone who was baptized was of an age where they could understand the Scriptures. They could understand the Gospel. He had to be a believer. And infants simply cannot believe in that way. Then the second thing, again it's obvious, this baptism had to be immersion, by immersion. That is clear from the language of verses 38 and 39. In fact, the Greek word translated baptize is the word baptizo, and it means to immerse, to dip, to sink. You have to be dipped in the water. You have to be immersed in the water. It does not mean to sprinkle or to pour. If that offends you, I apologize, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. And you know, you read here that these, in this instance, that, and the Bible couldn't be clearer about it. It says that Philip went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. It says they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. It's emphasizing it. 
and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, they went both down into the water. They came up both out of the water. Now, let me tell you something. I have been at christenings and baby baptisms, and the minister or the pastor or the priest or whoever doesn't get anything perhaps more than his finger wet. And that's it. He doesn't go down into the water. He doesn't sit in the baptismal font. He doesn't put his feet in there. The baby or the infant is the only one who gets wet. And so that would suggest to me that this method of immersion was the biblical method. And what you're going to see tonight is the biblical ordinance as it was practiced in New Testament times. You see, biblical baptism preaches Jesus, just as Philip did. As I said already, it speaks of his death, burial, and resurrection. And the person being baptized is saying to you as the congregation, to you as their friends, as their family, as their loved ones, as their colleagues, that they are trusting in, have trusted in, Christ alone, his death, burial, and resurrection, and that he alone is their only hope of salvation. Now, dear friend, I must ask you again, it would be remiss of me not to ask you, are you saved? Are you saved? Have you placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you see him as your only hope of heaven tonight. Can you look me in the eye and say, I know that I have been forgiven of all my sin. Can you speak to me at the door on the way out tonight and say with absolute insurance, Pastor Moore, I know that I'm on my way to heaven if I were to die tonight. Do you know that you have eternal life? Maybe like this this eunuch, we find you in this meeting room tonight in a desert place in your life, in a dry place, where despite all of life's blessings, there's still something lacking, something not right. Your life lacks purpose. Your life lacks hope. It lacks worth, and your soul craves for these things. Friend, let me tell you, the answer to your need is found in Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus tonight. Call upon him. Admit you're a sinner. Believe upon him. Call out his name. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to share a little conversation that David and I I had in, in my office back here the night that he trusted the Lord as his Savior. I'm sure he remembers this well. David came into the office and he said he was interested in becoming a Christian. He was interested in being saved. But when I began discussing the matter with him, he said, well, you know, I really need to know some more. I need to know more. And I said, David, you know, you can be ever learning and never come to the knowledge of the truth. I said, you know enough to be saved. I said, you're like a man, I said, who's been thrown overboard in a boat. And you're, the, you're in the sea and your, your head is going under and the waves are crashing over your head and I'm standing there with a ring, with a, uh, with a, a buoyancy aid. And I'm shouting at you, David, just catch this, catch this. And you're shouting back at me, who made it? What's it made from? Will the rope hold my weight? Is this a reliable manufacturer? I said... You're not going to do that. 
You're just going to ask me to throw you the lifeline and you're going to take it and I'll pull you in. I said tonight, dearie, the Lord Jesus is willing to save you. He's standing, as it were, on the bow of the ship and you're out in life's sea and you're drowning and you're going down and you're saying, I need to know more. I said, no, you just need to know Jesus. You just reach out and grab him. You'll find out more about him once you get to know him. But first you've got to get a hold of him. And that's true of you tonight. You may not know very much at all about the Bible. You may not know very much at all about theology and doctrine and all those things. But you know what? That's not important. What's important tonight is this. There's a Savior in heaven who loves you. Who came to earth to save you who's reaching down his hand to you tonight, and he's saying, take my hand, I'll save you. I'll save your soul for time and eternity. And all you have to do is reach up and grab him. May God help you to do that this evening. Let's pray.